0: This week on the Iowa Watch Connection.
1: Majority of needs are varied in some respects, but predominantly mental health needs.
0: They served our country and made sacrifices.
2: VA does good things. They have terrible follow through at times. But if you ask a veteran, that program doesn't do anything
0: for us. But for many, the fight did not end.
1: There's always pockets of areas or are veterans that do not know. and So it's really our imperative to make sure we go out and Conduct that outreach within the communities. Issues facing our
0: veterans, our topic this week.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein.
0: This past November marked the centennial of the end of the Great War, World War I. It was at the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918 that the armistice was signed, bringing the Great War to a close. And it has been traditional to recognize those who served our country on November 11th each year in what we now call Veterans Day but what about the other 364 days each year? Much was made in recent elections about properly caring for our veterans, and that has posed a more difficult challenge for a host of reasons. The Iowa City Veterans Affairs Healthcare system serves more than 50,000 veterans over a 50-county area of eastern Iowa, western Illinois, and northern Missouri. It includes not only a hospital facility in Iowa City, but also nine VA clinics in Iowa, in Bettendorf, Cedar Rapids, Decorah, Dubuque, Ottumwa, and Waterloo, and two homeless veterans outreach centers in Davenport and Cedar Rapids. The system employs about 1,800 persons and has an operating budget of $294.5 million. Iowa City VA Health Care Systems officials note that while they serve 50,000 veterans, that's out of a total of 184,000 in the area. The executive director and editor of Iowa Watch, Lyle Muller, spoke with Iowa City VA Director Judith Johnson-Meketa about care issues facing Iowa veterans. I want to start with a real open-ended question, but that is, is
4: veterans come to the Veterans Affairs Department, what
1: are the biggest needs that they have now? The the majority of needs are varied in some respects, but predominantly mental health needs uh, in terms of uh, whether it be PTSD or some other therapies needed, uh, but also in our specialty services related to orthopedics, optometry, ophthalmology, Uh, Those subspecialty services are needs of the veterans that we've identified. Has that changed much over the years? It has. When you look at the transformation of VA care, uh, many, many years ago when we transitioned from the traditional inpatient model of care to the outpatient setting, uh, what we found was that in order to do that as a VA, we had to establish access points within the community. And so when you establish those points, where should they be? what are the needs of the veterans, what quality metrics should we ensure that we still continue to meet or, or meet or exceed, and also uh, making sure that they're timely as well, are meeting those needs. And so we have developed within our community-based outpatient clinic setting where we have not only primary care, we have mental health, we have audiology boosts for hearing uh, evaluations, We have podiatry, optometry, and it's even transcended to connected care to telehealth services. So all our clinics have telehealth capabilities. So if a veteran is in Waterloo or Decorah, if they come in and say, I would like to see my mental health provider, and there's not one physically present, they can be connected to a mental health provider in Iowa City or Minneapolis or wherever the services, whatever we can arrange. It, it could even be, I have a skin lesion, I'd like a dermatologist to look at, so we're able to send that image to a dermatologist here in Iowa City that can evaluate and treat the patient, or at least set up further treatment related to the evaluation of that, that lesion. There are just so many opportunities, really, with, with connected care. You know, we it w- it was it's, it's exciting to see the transformation of healthcare within VA, because we went from that chief complaint Model of, you know, you just came in, okay, what's your chief complaint? What are you here for today? To now, with whole health initiatives, we have a, a much different dialogue with veterans. So we have more of a um, motivational I- interviewing with veterans. So we really try to determine what motivates them in their healthcare decisions and their plan. And it may be that veterans will find them and say, you know, I want to live for my grandchildren or I want to be able to do this. This is what I'd like to achieve or do within my life span. And so that really helps the provider to understand how important it is for them to uh, be involved in whether it be chronic disease management or a short-term uh, condition that they need to treat so that they can shape the treatment plan around the veteran's preferences and what they would like to see. And that's a huge shift for us with NVA. When you're
4: working with veterans, are they aware of the programming that you have? Trying to get an idea of how frequently they think of this being a place that they can get treatment for, say, mental health issues.
1: Well, certainly everywhere we go within the community, we talk about our services. But there's always pockets of areas or veterans that do not know. And so it's really our imperative to make sure we go out and conduct that outreach within the communities and advertise what we do provide and make sure that they do know. And more importantly, that they're eligible for the services. Oftentimes, veterans have, we have uh, what we're calling now sort of the myth busters. And so we're trying to go out in the communities and say, you know, some veterans will say, well, I wasn't in combat, so I'm not eligible for VA care. So making sure that they understand the eligibility rules to get them into the system is our first step. And the second step then is, what services do you need and where can we provide those to you?
4: A few years ago, Iowa Watch did a story about homeless veterans and how they were unaware or not connecting with some of the services that were actually available to them. Has there been any kind of effort to reach out to
1: homeless veterans? Absolutely. So, once again, with connected care. So we have iPads that we've distributed or phones so that they can connect with the mental health provider, whether it be a nurse case manager or actually their mental health provider if they have issues. Uh, that may be even primary care related, so we can make that connection, so they have that more of a a connection that adapts to their lifestyle and their choices.
4: Are you seeing an increase in demand for services?
1: In some areas, yes, and that's our challenge with NVA. is every day there's a new challenge or new situation with veterans that we need to consider, you know, whether it be, you know, uh, generationally related that, you know, in terms of uh, uh, expectations of VAs. I think that's been really the demand is to make sure, you know, should we have more group visits? Should we have more telehealth services? So we're always evaluating what would meet the needs of the veterans and what would be the best best method to do that.
0: More of Lyle Muller's interview with Iowa City VA Director Judith johnson Mecca later in this program. Kevin Dill is a Marine Corps veteran, who ran the Black Hawk County Veterans Affairs Office in Waterloo for just over three years until retiring two weeks ago due to health reasons. Sometimes I wish we could tell our country that they need to take a lesson from
2: veterans. You know, uh, you always hear that 1% of the population served, the other 99% didn't. But veterans are, they're unique. Um, You come home with a different kind of mindset of, uh, we leave nobody behind. Nobody left on the battlefield, no matter your race, religion, sexual orientation, creed, ethnic background, you're our brother and our sister, and we take care of you. No matter what, we will take care of you as veterans. Um, It's a strong brotherhood and sisterhood. Um, You know, I have friends in my old unit. If I called them, they would jump on a plane with no question and come help. So sometimes I wish our country could take a lesson from the 1%. um, who live their lives that way. Um, you know, veterans are are proud of, willing to give their life for this country. Um, they're willing to give anyone a cup of cold water if they need it, a shirt off their back if they need it. They are patriots. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a veteran or a non-veteran. It's just instilled in us to, pr- to protect our neighbors and our friends. The VA does good things. They have terrible follow-through at times. Sometimes they put out programs that... Looks good to the 99%. The 99% of the c- the country that votes, boy, that's a really cool thing. Way to go, Senator, for helping veterans. But if you ask a veteran, that program doesn't do anything for us. Um, they have good ideas in the VA, um, but sometimes it gets too political. Um, so hopefully the new secretary can, can change that. Um, but that's my biggest um, talking point over this last week is, you know, the forever... Uh, GI Bill, Veterans Choice, um, cleaning up the the health side, the benefit side. We're, sometimes we're hurting veterans more than we're helping them uh, by not cleaning up those areas. You know, we have a lot of veterans who commit suicide. And how many of them are committing suicide because the VA just can't get it right because of politics. Um, so what's interesting to me is sometimes we put things out that... When you look at it, hey, that is a really cool program for vets, but sometimes it doesn't do anything for us veterans. It just looks good for the public and keeps people in office. So, uh, I've said that before to a couple of senators, so I don't, I don't mind saying it on the radio. And they can call me if they want.
0: Kevin Dill served as Black Hawk County Veterans Affairs Director in Waterloo for the past three years. He retired on the first of this past month due to a diagnosis of Louis body disease, a terminal condition with no cure. Dill served in the military for 11 years, from 1983 to 1994. As a Marine, he served on embassy guard duty around the world. During the first Gulf War, he served as an Arabic linguist translator, and he also served on presidential and special details. After an honorable discharge in 1994, he became a police officer, first in Texas, then in Waterloo and the Quad Cities. By the time of the second Gulf War, he was employed doing contract security in the Middle East. He returned following that war to the U.S. and started his career at the Department of Veterans Affairs in St. Louis before coming to Black Hawk County three years ago. Coming up, more about veterans health care. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues.
3: The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at IowaWatch.org.
0: Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. More now of an interview about care issues facing Iowa veterans as Iowa watches, Lyle Muller talks with Iowa City VA Director Judith johnson Mecca.
4: What would be an area where there were, would be a lot of demand right now? You mentioned at the beginning of the interview uh, some of the services that were the primary concerns. Mm-hmm. Would those be where the increase in demand is or are there some other areas that we're not thinking about?
1: And mental health would be the largest demand in that area and you know suicide prevention is our number one clinical priority within VA. And so one of our imperatives related to that is that of the 20 veterans that die by suicide per day, 14 of those veterans are not seen by a VHA facility. And so we're trying to reach out to those other 14 to make them aware of the services. Forty percent of veterans that seek v- VA services will not complete a suicide. So by just reaching out to us, making that touch point. So, what we have done is we have developed outreach specialists to go out in the community. So we've looked at those non-traditional areas where we've not been uh, present, uh, such as faith-based organizations or book clubs or just general community meetings to say, these are the resources that we can provide. Because we know there's gonna be someone sitting there saying, I have a neighbor or I have a son as a veteran and I think they're having trouble and they may not know about the services and so we're trying to make those connections.
4: It just seems sad that people who have served their country would be suicidal. What's going on there? Uh, Is there an explanation?
1: I think that the, the research thus far has shown that it's multifactorial in terms of just, you know, there may be a there may be a relationship with PTSD or some other factor or just life changes. The transition from active duty to civilian life uh, we have recognized is is a significant factor.
4: We've been in some conflicts here in the last couple of decades, and we hear a lot about uh, people who lose limbs. Uh, They're alive now because Mm -hmm. of technology, but they also have lost limbs. Have you seen much of an increase here in the Iowa City VA region uh, with people who need prostheses, trying to deal with the loss of limbs?
1: We have seen an increased demand in that area, and most recently we have opened up a new physical therapy department in the federal building here located in Iowa City, the old post office location. And so we've been able to add different equipment associated with balanced therapy, with having a more of a comprehensive physical therapy approach, as well as prosthetics, so we're able to actually build the prosthesis here on site versus waiting days or weeks or months to be able to have that uh, prosthetics fitting.
4: Are there physical therapy clinics in other communities in the region? Yes. And where would they be?
1: So in our community-based outpatient clinics, we also have physical therapy. So okay. they have the opportunity to gait training, or if, if there's other needs that they have, there they provide that.
4: You know, talking about the other clinics uh, kind of raises the issue of travel that some of these people would have to do to get services. How significant has it been to have satellite offices versus making people come to Iowa City?
1: What we hear from veterans is that they appreciate the ability to go to the community clinic to have those services available to them. And what our challenge is is to make sure we can can continue to meet those needs and have a consistent, reliable service for them. So that's important for them to be able to, you know, we are always assessing what the needs are. The pop- Population health needs of the community, what those are, what they look like, and determine what services we need to provide there.
4: And then what are you doing about wait times? That's another issue that veterans will talk about.
1: We look at wait times daily in terms of what areas we need to consider in terms of where is our supply demand imbalance, uh, what's the contingency plan. We have uh, built in fairly significant plans if we find that there's an unplanned absence from a provider. We have a backup, we have a hub that we use of providers that are available to see the veterans, so we have those contingency plans. Uh, in terms of access, we do very well. Uh, we are able to meet the less than 30-day requirements. We have same-day access in all our clinics for primary care and mental health. If someone walks in with an issue, particularly if it's an urgent issue, we, we take care of the veterans, so there's no concerns related to it. If they walk in and they need to be seen by someone, whether it be via telehealth or a nurse or whatever, we see the veteran.
4: You're an institution that gets a lot of attention, uh, positive, negative, the whole works. How do you try to manage all of that so that you can still provide services for
1: veterans? Communication is so important in recognizing that that we are an open book, essentially. We are beholden to the taxpayers, to Congress, to to everyone in making sure that we can provide the best care we can to our veterans. And so being able to communicate and, and be transparent on what we're doing here and, and having the staff understand and making sure we can have the community, it's but most importantly it's the veterans so they understand so that they don't have questions or doubts or concerns related to what may be going on or what the story may be in, in the media. Do
4: you have enough for resources to do all of this?
1: I I believe we do. I think it's important for us that we always look at efficiencies. We are working towards being a more lean-based environment in terms of being more efficient and effective, and we're basing that upon the veteran experience because, you know, the bureaucracy of even our phone tree system in terms of calling, and you may be transferred to several different individuals, or how do you get into our system? And so we're looking at our processes to make sure how we can be more effective, and I think that's will help us with in terms of resources. We are very blessed to have you know, state-of-the-art equipment. Uh, we have uh, our research program and what we're doing inter- and what we're learning about our care. I think it only helps us to better uh, improve our services.
4: What are the big needs you want to address in the future here out of this area?
1: The future for us is really dependent upon our, our agility as a system to continue to be the provider of choice for veterans. Uh, You know, as the Choice program evolved and now the Mission Act, which will be operationalized in June of next year, we have to continue to see, to make sure we can be the provider of Choice for Veterans, and what does that mean, what does that look like, what services should we provide as a VA, and what partnerships we should look at within the community uh, and other sources. I think that's going to be important for us to continue to evolve as a healthcare system.
4: Can you give an example of what a partnership might be like?
1: Well, certainly if we were, had a community-based outpatient clinic and we only offered, uh, let's say, primary care and mental health services, but we had a demand for uh, optometry or eye clinic services, we would see if there was an ability to partner with a community provider to provide those services as well. So it's much more seamless for the veteran.
4: And for veterans coming to the Iowa City Center, what's your expectation for their experience?
1: I think everyone's expectation is that they have the best experience possible. We are number 10 in the nation in terms of veteran's experience. We're in the top 10 of all VA facilities and, and although that's laudable and we, we're proud of that, we continually work on that. We conduct We Care rounds where we go out and talk to veterans about how can we make this, their experience better here, how do we need to improve. Uh, we, we look at our patient satisfaction data closely and we don't wait for a trend we don't wait for seven data points to say okay I think we have a problem here we critically look at each individual concern that's relayed to us and see if we can make a difference
0: Judith Johnson Mekeda is director of the Iowa City VA Healthcare System speaking with Lyle Muller Iowa Watch executive director and editor And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online anytime, iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more, iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag #IAWatchConnection Connection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com slash Iowa Watch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week.